Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most interesting and invigorating and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And um, don't be afraid of the leaping sparks, as you can be certain of one thing. They will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of... Apologies again if you hear any kind of uh, strange noises in the background. Uh, we are still in the midst of construction on, well, we're ready to announce the future wisdom of kind of Playland, Disneyland type experience. It's going to open sometime in 2024, but we're right in the midst of it now. But back to today's episode. In the traditional sense of the word, we're rarely timely here on the wisdom of we're going for a kind of uh, nauseatingly self-satisfied, timeless quality, but not today's focus. Eric Fromm and his escape from freedom is rather timely. Freedom is a pretty big buzzword in today's uh, political climate. Everyone claims to love freedom. But on one side, you have the you can't say that people. And on the other side, you have the you can't have these books about that, and you can't have that particular medical procedure. You can't marry that type, and oh yeah, their own brand of can't say that. To borrow the whole freedom to, freedom from structure, there's a swath of people today that actually think freedom just means freedom to do whatever I want, and freedom from any and all consequences. How about Mr. Frome? Yeah, that the subject of freedom is a topical one, isn't it? And yeah, for Fromm, he goes deep into it. But um, before we get there, you know what's coming. So first, and as usual, a brief summary. So Eric Fromm was a German psychologist and a philosopher who, as a German Jew, fled the Nazi regime and moved to America. He wrote the book called Escape from Freedom in 1941, which is the work that we're going to take a look at today. In this book, Fromm explores our shifting and difficult relationship with freedom and uh, looks at what happens when we find ways to escape it. He makes the psychological conditions of the rise of Nazism or the deciphering of fascism one of his central areas of analysis. Fromm was strongly influenced by both Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx. Today, Fromm is considered to be one of the most important psychoanalysts of the 20th century. Eric Fromm died in 1980. 
very common phrase, say, history repeats itself, right? I'm going to add on to a, a longer phrase. History repeats itself. First is tragedy. Second is farce. And finally, as Disney era writing for Star Wars. And I think today I'm going to follow that kind of tripartite pattern. So if we're thinking about freedom and its difficulties and its complications, I'll start with the tragic. Directly relevant to Eric Fromm, Fromm, not sure, we have Nazi Germany. I don't want to spend too much time on them because God knows they get talked about a lot. It's time. Actually, I look at my schedule. It's time for my seasonal Norm Macdonald thievery. And he just said something like, the more I hear about that Hitler guy, the less I like him. But it is interesting how many Germans simply gave up their freedom and bought into what they thought he could offer. If we transition to the farce, I always think about Mussolini and his Italian fascists and how much they get off the hook. Like, they are completely overshadowed. And we forget that Mussolini aspired to be every bit the malevolent force that his Nazi buddy was. He just wasn't as good at it. Like, if it's the night before, like, let's say there's a big poetry competition. Like, that's a thing, right? And you, you kind of restructure a, a little-known Wordsworth piece, stealing the idea but hiding your thieving ways. And then I... I word-for-word word copy the lyrics of the Insane Clown Posse song about magnets. We're both frauds. We're both equally guilty. I'm just bad at it. But if I go to my final of my three-parter, end with my version of the Disney Star Wars level writing, something hopefully as good as somehow Palpatine returned, I'm going to say the best illustration of the complications of freedom comes not from Nazi Germany nor fascist Italy, but departed songster George Michael. How better to show this than with his dueling sentiments? He alternated songs where he had one where he proclaimed, I don't need your freedom. Then another one where he countered with, yeah, yeah, freedom, freedom, freedom. Balls in your court. Can you do any better than that? Uh, I, I wish I could do better. But for that, I'd need to understand what you just said there. So, you know, I'm going to leave George Michael alone and go back to what you said about fascism. Because that I understand. And you know what? It's important. And Fromm certainly talks a lot about it. Okay, but in order to make sense of what he says about it, let me um back up a bit and try to give some greater context. Okay, so fundamentally what Fromm does in Escape from Freedom is he talks about three forms of freedom. Or maybe more accurately, he talks about freedom in three stages. He calls the first one pre-freedom, the second one negative freedom, and the third one positive freedom. Okay, so let's start with um, pre-freedom. So we can really think of this as something like what it was to live in an older um, pre-individualistic society. And one of Fromm's examples here is a medieval society or the world of the Middle Ages. Anyway, the idea here is that in a pre-individualistic society, a person is conscious of themselves only as a member of a community, or a nation, or religion, or race. And because of this, they don't conceive of themselves as an individual except through the way of their social role. So really, Fromm says, they're not free. That's to say, there is in their life a lack of individual freedom. Okay, 
But Fromm says that although you're not free being a person living in a pre-individualistic society, there is an important benefit to it. Namely, you don't feel isolated or alone. That's to say, being brought up in a community from birth, you feel like you belong. You, you know your place. You know what's expected of you. Your life, in other words, had both certainty and meaning. Actually, you know what? Maybe you could say that in some ways, living in a pre-freedom, um, pre-individualistic way, is not unlike being a child growing up within a family. I mean, for a child, every hour of its life is planned and managed by parents and schools, and just by the larger rules of a world that the child can't even begin to comprehend. So, a child isn't really free, right? But here's the thing. They're definitely happy and relaxed. And that's because they're embedded in a larger world of certainty and predictability and of belonging. There's definitely comfort in being unfree in this way. So, just like the home provides the child with comfort, the pre-individualistic society provides the person living in it with security. Okay, well, so what happened next, historically, Fromm says, is that the bonds of medieval society loosened and things began to change during the Renaissance. And I say this um, quickly and dogmatically, but basically what happened is that the, the old structures crumbled and there was more social mobility, more wealth, and more choices to be had. People, in other words, gained a kind of freedom from the restrictions society had imposed on them in the past. They broke loose from their old moorings. Okay, so Fromm calls this kind of newly gained freedom a kind of negative freedom. So, what does this mean? Well, it's a negative freedom in the sense that it's a freedom from something, as you said. In this case, it's a freedom from the traditional bonds, society, and religion that people used to be enmeshed in and which subsumed their identity. Actually, you know, Fromm wasn't the only person to talk about negative freedom. Long before, the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, without calling it by name, also talked about a kind of negative freedom. But for him, it was a little more concrete or physical. That's to say, for him, freedom was conceived of simply as the absence of external impediment to motion. Actually, you know, he used the example of water inside a container to illustrate it. He said that water inside a container that can't get out into the larger space around it, well, it's not free. It's not free because it has this external impediment around it, without which it would naturally, you know, spread itself around. And so it goes with all living creatures. If they're restrained within walls or by chains, then they're not free. Their freedom then, for Hobbes, would consist in the absence of all such impediments to their motion. Anyway, so, so back to Fromm. So for him, like I said, negative freedom is not quite as constricted or reductive as it is in Hobbes, but what it is is it's the freedom from the numerous roots and bonds of society. And um, that's a good thing, insofar as it gives people a, a new sense of independence and a consciousness of themselves that they never had before. However, there are some important drawbacks that come with it. 
Most importantly, being in this state makes us feel lost and isolated, he says. Yes, we're, we're free from the collectivism of society, from a closed-up world. But we've given up the feeling of security that we enjoyed in our pre-individualistic community. We've given up that unquestioning feeling of belonging. And we've given up the comfort it brings us to have somebody else make decisions for us. Now, all this, Fromm says, makes us anxious and afraid. In other words, this freedom's not quite the automatic blessing that we thought it was. In fact, it's a heavy burden. And so, for many of us, what we really want to do is to find a way to escape it. That's to say, there's an impulse in us to want to return to the certainties and to the order of the pre-modern world. Now, of course, we can't go back in time, but we still can and do find ways to escape our threatening freedom. So, how do we do this? Well, okay, so first of all, what Fromm says that many of us do, and here he has in mind what happened in Nazi Germany, is that we jump into authoritarianism, which functions as a kind of second-grade replacement of the collective pre-modern world we left behind. That's to say, because we're afraid of our freedom and the responsibility that comes with it, we eagerly jump into a larger aggregate and into an authoritarian system that'll tell us what to do. Like children, we submit to the power of another and we follow their rules. We surrender our freedom to dictators and to Führers. And like I said, this is what Fromm thought happened in Nazi Germany and with the Holocaust. I mean, what made millions of Germans complicit with the murder of millions of Jewish people? Fromm asks. This is the real question that needs to be asked, he thinks. Because if we don't confront this question, then we risk the same sorts of inhumane transgressions again. So, if we're honest, what's the answer? Well, for Fromm, what explained that complicity was that many Germans were eager to surrender their freedom to a higher authority. Their complicity, their passive collaboration, was a result of their escape from their freedom and responsibility. It's this flight from freedom which created the conditions favorable to the emergence and power and actions of Hitler. Anyway, this is what's so deeply problematic about us. Our impulse for submission and salvation is often stronger than our desire for freedom. I mean, Nazi Germany aside, just look at what's been going on around the world in the last several years. Look at the political landscape. Millions and millions seem to be capitulating to overt authority figures and autocrats and neo-fascists and populists and nationalists. According to Fromm, this is due to that instinctive wish for submission in us. That's to say, there seems to be a deep part of us that wants to surrender our individuality and the burden of our freedom and to dissolve ourselves in some outside power that promises salvation. Deep down, we want security 
and relief from doubt over freedom and integrity, even if it means being complicit in the next outbreak of inhumanity. Okay, so Fromm talks about another way in which we escape our freedom, and it's something he called automaton conformity. And this is the kind of escape associated not with um, totalitarianism, but um, with democracies, specifically with our modern Western world. That's to say, in Western societies, we don't usually have an explicit authoritarian figure under which we could submit. So instead, what do we do? Well, we hide in mass culture. We do what everybody else does. We dress like others. We watch the same TV shows. We talk the same way. As Fromm says, If I look like, talk like, think like, feel like everyone else in my society, then I disappear into the crowd and I don't need to acknowledge my freedom or take responsibility. Well, this is the life of the automaton. It's to transform ourselves into a small cog in the machine. It's to confuse being well-dressed and being well-fed with being free. And it's the most prevalent way of escaping our freedom. So, this is the thing about freedom. It's difficult to face and to live out. And again, that's because it requires that we take responsibility. It means that we don't try to escape the complexities of life and give up being a member of our complicated societies. In other words, freedom isn't just freedom from the constraints and demands of the social world. No, full and genuine freedom is the freedom to do. It's to move forward. It's doing what you consider to be good and right in the world and to realize your larger vision. And it's also to realize yourself and not just live like an automaton or as part of the world of the they, as Heidegger would say. Well, this basically brings us to Fromm's last stage of freedom, positive freedom. So, positive freedom means being free, yes, but at the same time, not alone. Positive freedom means being independent, yes, but at the same time, an integral part of humankind. Real freedom, then, is one that brings you independence, but not isolation and powerlessness in its wake. No positive freedom means to live the active life, in solidarity with others, in unity with the world but all the while as a self-sufficient individual in control of one's life. It means to resist mass thinking. And finally, it means to live out your potential, to make use of your capacities, to cultivate and affirm your uniqueness, and to grow in integrity of self. But at the end of the day, what a commitment to positive and genuine freedom ultimately means is this. It means to do all we can to refuse to make submission and escapism and misery the future of our world.
listening to The Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod.